Thank you for joining the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast with your host, Clayton Craddock. Jared Schoenig, my guest today on the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast. He's a Grammy Award-winning drummer, composer, and band leader. Jared has toured and or recorded internationally with Nicholas Payton, Dr. Lonnie Smith, Wycliffe Gordon, Tom Harrell, Joe Locke, Kurt Elling, The New York Voices, Christian Chenoweth, Cynthia Erivo, and many, many others. Jared has recorded the cast albums for Pippin, It Should Have Been You, The Color Purple, War Paint, The Prom, and is now the drummer on the 10-time Tony Award-winning musical Moulin Rouge. Jared also co-led a group called the We Trio, which released five critically acclaimed albums over the past eight years. Jared recently recorded two solo albums of original music, one quintet and one big band, in the fall of 2021 called Two Takes. It's incredible music, and I'm honored to have such an amazing musician on my podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Jared Schoenig. Welcome to Broadway Drumming 101. My guest today is Jared Schoenig. You are the drummer on Moulin Rouge. Tell me how you got that gig. Great question. Actually, man, I want to say five years ago, six years ago, I got a call from Justin Levine. Um, who is the music supervisor, co-orchestrator, arranger, uh, incidental music composer, basically the, the brainchild of, of music in Moulin Rouge. And uh, he called me and he said, hey, this is a long way away, but we're going to get together. I want you to, to get together and help, help us like, do some arrangements and flesh out some stuff for this show. And I said, you know, sure. And I wasn't, I wasn't quite sure how I was referred to him. Um, I think I figured it out. And that was through Carmel Dean, um, who is an incredible music director and composer. Um, but basically, yeah, I got brought on to do, to work on Moulin Rouge from the very, very beginning. It was me and Charlie Rosen and um, a couple different bass players and guitar players who were, basically, you know, doing these, these musical labs and figuring out, um, you know, parts and just uh, arrangement ideas. Like I was very integral in, in figuring out, um, you know, arrangement ideas and drum grooves that became, you know, the, the, the song and, and stuff like that. So it was a very cool process. It's basically the first show in which I was really involved from the very, very beginning. Did you get to choose some of the songs? Um, I, I did not choose the songs. That's all Justin. Um, but, but definitely like, like groove ideas and arrangement ideas. Um, I can very much say, you know, I was a big part of, which is cool. So, and also Jeff, Jeff Tansky is another guy who was there from the very beginning, who is the associate, um, uh, music director on the show. When you, um, are originating a show like that as far as writing the drum grooves are you coming up with all of that and uh do you get an orchestrating credit for that 
So on this show, this is the first show I actually did get uh, credit and, you know, piece of the, uh, the orchestrating pile, which is great. You know, I think, you know, and most drummers know that we are usually writing our own parts and not getting credit. And I think that it's a really uh, sad part of our business. Um, but I think there's kind of a new um, regime of people who are, are willing to um, fight for the musicians who are part of the process. And Justin Levine is definitely uh, one of the amazing guys who did that. And he said, you know, these guys were just as um, important to this orchestrating process as these other people. And let's, you know, we'll split the, split the pot up. And um, it was, it was really sweet, but yeah, uh, we all, we all know how much work we do as drummers for shows and don't get the credit. Um, and hopefully that's changing. Yeah, for those that don't know, that are just new to this whole thing, when you start a show, you are usually working with a pianist who's usually the music director. And you and that person are in the rehearsal room with the director and sometimes the choreographer and the, the person who's writing the music or people who are writing the music, and they just give you a piano vocal. And yeah. you basically come up with the drum part for the show that tra usually translates into what you play if you get to the point where you're on Broadway. Right. Usually that's the orchestrating, the, the orchestration of the drum part, and you should be getting a uh, payment for that. But it's Correct. changing, which is something that I think Rich Mercurio did with Waitress. Yeah, that was like a, a, a neat situation where the whole band actually got, you know, cool orchestrating credit. Wow. So, so you know, when it says... It says or orchestrated by the waitress band. Doesn't have anybody's name there, so it just says the the waitress band or Sarah Burles and the waitress band, which is great. And, you know, they all they all split it evenly, which is really really sweet. Um, uh, yeah, but generally it, it, that doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, you and uh, and Rich are uh, trail trailblazers here. I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. The other people have done it. Yeah, but it's cool. You uh, went to Eastman School of Music. I did. Hey, did you grow up in Rochester? I did not. I'm I'm born and raised from uh, in Los Angeles, California. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. What yeah. part? Inglewood, Long uh, Beach? No, nah, neither. <laughs> um, Northridge. Where is that? Where there was a, Northridge is in the San Fernando Valley. Um, I'm not sure if if kids uh, are going to watch this, but it is the porn capital of the world. <laughs> San Fernando really? Valley. Correct. Wow. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, um, there was also a big earthquake there in 94, which was huge, like, you know, pretty devastating in Southern California, 6.8, you know, lots of, lots of crazy stuff happened on Martin Luther King day in 94. Uh, what were you doing yeah. at that point? Uh, I was five 30 in the morning. I was sleeping, um, in a bunk bed and, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty scary. And, uh, yeah, but everybody in my family was fine. So yeah. you grew up in the porn capital. When, when, when did you realize it was the porn capital when you were in high school? Definitely. Yes. <laughs> and, but you <laughs> know, you, you were playing drums all that time. So you didn't want to go into that industry because you wanted Correct. to do something wholesome. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so you started playing drums at what age? Uh, I started playing drums in high school. I had been playing 
classical piano early on. So a little bit of background is both my parents are professional musicians. Um, my dad uh, is a very well-regarded, respected studio uh, percussionist and drummer. And my mom is a classical pianist, wonderful teacher and classical pianist. So they kind of started me out on piano early on, you know, like around four or five. And I played serious classical piano for about 10 years. Um, and then I played a little bit of oboe in middle school. And then I switched to the drums um, in high school. I had always gone into my dad's studio and kind of tinkered around and played and came up with grooves and played along to uh, Led Zeppelin records and Nirvana records. Um, but I didn't start taking lessons or, or become serious until high school. Why oboe? Uh, great question. I was in middle school band or orchestra and they said, what do you want to play? And I said, well, I play piano. And they said, well, you don't, can't play piano in an orchestra. I said, well, like, what are the hardest instruments? And they said, French horn, oboe. And I said, I don't know. I'll try oboe. It's like a clarinet. It can't be that hard. So that's how I chose it. Wow. When was the very, last time very, you played the oboe? Um, at the last night of war paint, uh, a fantastic musical I did where there was an oboe chair and I surprised everyone by playing giant steps on the oboe. <laughs> it's a true story. Wow. You can, That's you can ask a few people who remember it. <laughs> Do you pick up your oboe from time to time? And, and I mean, I don't have one, but I can, and I, 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 the embouchure is the hardest part, you know, just like feeling like your brain is exploding playing a double read, but you know, you remember all the fingerings and everything and it's fun. It's cool. So you started playing in high school. Did you, yeah. um, did you start, you started taking lessons at that point? Yeah. And yeah. Did you, uh, did your parents buy you a drum set or did you get one on your own? Or? No, I was just playing on my dad's stuff. I never had my own stuff. I was just, my dad uh, had a, a, a pretty amazing studio when you think about it. We got, we moved houses when I was in eighth grade, um, close to the middle school I was going to. And there was a, basically a, like a detached office in the back of this house. Sounds fancy, but it's not. Um, and my dad in that office had timpani, Barimba, um, Vibes, um, a hammer dulcimer, all set up in this big room. And then there was a little room, which, which was, I guess the bathroom before, but, it, but there was no bathroom stuff in it. And he put the drums in there. So we like had a little, little ISO booth for the drums, which was pretty awesome. So my dad practiced in there and then I started practicing in there. And then we would play duets and do snare drum reading together in, the, in this big room. And um, it was pretty awesome. So other than your father, were there other drummers that you looked up to back then? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, my, my initial two favorite drummers were John Bonham and, um, and Dave Grohl, actually. Basically my two favorite bands. And Mitch Mitchell um, of Jimi Hendrix Experience. Um, those were my favorites, but um, kind of locally. Uh, so I, my, my high school experience is pretty formative. Also, my, my parents switched my high schools when I was a sophomore and they basically tricked me into going to an arts magnet, um, where a lot of wonderful, famous musicians went, but it was really far from my house. 
So when I was started at the school, there was basically like four or five really, really incredible drummers um, there who I really, really looked up to, um, whom most of all are still in the LA scene, very high level uh, studio or jazz players. Um, and then one of them in particular was, is a guy named Lyndon Rochelle, who was one of my dad's students in middle school, actually. And he ended up going to Hamilton, the high school I went to, and I was a year younger than him. And so I was looked up to him and he was, you know, he's a great guy, great player and does really well in LA. So you decided to go to Eastman school of music. Why not USC or Juilliard or Berkeley? Um, uh, the, the, the short answer it was, is it was the furthest away <laughs> from my house. Um, I ended up getting pretty much full rides to almost every school I auditioned to except for Eastman. Um, but something about the audition process and the uh, selectiveness about how small the program, the jazz program was, was very intriguing to me. I also had like kind of um, a good, a really good buddy of my dad's, um, Clay Jenkins, an incredible trumpet player, had just started teaching there. And I felt like a level of comfort from him. And, and um, I had also seen the Eastman Jazz Ensemble perform with the New York Voices, which is ironic because it's a group I ended up playing with a lot um, uh, in my professional life. But I saw them play at, you know, IAJE one year in high school. And I just really loved them. And I loved the director's music, who um, his name is Fred Sturm, great, great composer and great guy. And his son is one of my best friends. So it's all these little kind of funny things that led me to choose Eastman, I think. Um, but yeah, there was many other choices on the table, but I think as soon as I knew I got into Eastman, I kind of knew I wanted to go there, which I couldn't tell you why, except for that, you know. And you, stu you studied jazz performance? Yeah. Now, why jazz performance and not something else like uh, classical percussion, uh, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I, when I left high school, all I wanted to do was play jazz. Um, you know, I had played lots of music and classical music and been in orchestras and, you know, all city bands and all that stuff. But I really, actually, maybe that's not true, but I knew I just wanted to be a jazz major in wherever I went. I knew that classical percussion wasn't something that I wanted to spend four years doing. Um, I had never thought about that. Like the only other option was going to Berkeley and doing like, you know, commercial music degree or whatever. When you finished Eastman, did you move back to the LA area? No, I moved right to New York. Um, I spent the summer in Rochester, you know, gigging and working. And then I came to New York in uh, September. And luckily there was a, a crew of musicians that had graduated at like basically a year before me. Um, who were kind of waiting for me to get there. So I would have some, some gigs and some work. Um, I had a day job for two years cause I needed health insurance cause I'm type one diabetic. Um, and, uh, ended up getting a, a good uh, teaching job, basically a year after I moved here that I, I did for a really long time until it was, the commute was too horrific, but, um, it was a great school. So yeah, I, I was very fortunate to, to, you know, I didn't necessarily make my living playing music when I got here, but I, I, I survived with a day job and with music. Yeah. You know, it's funny. 
I thought I was like the only one who worked day jobs. Now, what kind of day job did you do? Uh, I mean, I sold computers for Apple computer. Really? Yeah. And, and like, I was really good at it. You know, I sold, I sold a lot of shit. Um, <laughs> I, so that I, I kept getting promoted and it was a very, like, I got promoted to basically a manager in, in a, in a year. And so I was going on this weird trajectory of like, that could have been my life, you know? And then I thought about, you know, I don't, you've probably been to an Apple store. There are gene, the genius bar, you know, guys fix computers. And I, and I was like, I want to do that. And they said, sure, you can do that. So basically, and then all of this actually ties back to Broadway. Um, I was going to go fly out to train to be a genius in Cupertino, California. And I got my first call to sub on a show and I knew that I couldn't do both. So I told them the next day, sorry, I'm going to, I'm quitting. What show yeah. was that? Greece in 2008, seven, 2008. So you were subbing at Greece. Who was the drummer on that show? Uh, the great John Clancy. Ah, yes. Speaking of orchestrating. Correct. He's on a whole, up, whole other level now. It's great. Big dog. So how did you meet John? That is a very good story. Um, I was playing a lot of jazz at um, the St. Peter's Church on Lexington and 53rd. Um, like I said, one of my best friends is a great bass player named Ike Sturm, and he was head of the jazz ministry there. And one day... We were playing there, and uh, this guitar player named Jim Hirschman was there. And um, funny story, Jim Hirschman and my dad were friends in Sacramento, California, where my dad is, grew up. They used to play together, um, but he didn't know it at the time. And um, Jim was looking for a drummer to play his um, like Monday night jazz gig in Queens. And I said, sure, why not? So I basically, you know, I did this gig with Jim, who's a phenomenal jazz player, but unbeknownst to me was also a, you know, a very high level Broadway musician and, um, kind of, um, some time passed and somehow it came up, Hey, would you ever be interested in subbing a show? And, and I said, sure, I guess, you know, like, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> tell me about it. So he told me about it and it sounded really great. And he said, you know, you got to come in, you got to listen to the drummer, play exactly like him, make sure that nobody knows that he's gone. And I said, this sounds like a fun challenge. I'll do it. <laughs> so yeah, finally uh, my time came where like Clancy needed a, another sub and he called me and I was, yeah, I was pretty excited. And so I can, yeah, I basically always say I can attribute my whole Broadway career to Jim Hirschman. Wow. There's always somebody that, always. that connects yep. you in. Mine was Matt yep. Beck. If it, wasn't oh, for Matt, nice. if it wasn't for Matt Beck, I wouldn't be doing this podcast right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So two, see, two, two, two guitar players put us together. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's you were on the, the fast track to becoming an Apple genius, and you're like, you know what? Screw that. I'm going to play on Broadway or I'm going yeah. to, I'm going to go back into music. Um, well, yeah, it's like I was, so I, I still had like a pretty decent little music career, you know, playing jazz gigs at nighttime teaching, um, 
you know, playing some other gigs, like I, I, nothing super high level, but it was, things were getting a little hectic with my, like I would, I like to say, I can't really remember my first two years in New York because I was just always working, whether it was gigging till like three in the morning or working eight, you know, eight hour shifts. Um, so I just knew like I couldn't do both and I need, I, something inside of me said, I have to, I have to quit Apple. Otherwise I'm going to get too far deep in and I'm going to end up not playing music. And that's not why I moved to New York. You know, I didn't move to New York to play Broadway either, but it just happened, you know, I'm sure you didn't either. And it just happened, just happened that way. So, you know, I'm very fortunate that it did. Um, I just, something inside me and maybe it was like a conversation with my parents or, or friends who were just like, yeah, just get out of there, like play music. So that's, that's how it happened. You sub for Clancy, which a lot of people call him. What did you do to prepare for subbing for him at Greece? Yeah. So a few different people had told me the same thing. Like when you go into sub, you need to sound exactly like the guy, like, or the girl or whoever is playing the chair. Um, one, one very difficult thing about that show is Clancy hits the drums very hard. Um, that he's probably the hardest hitter I've ever seen or experienced. Um, and the thing that made me the most nervous about subbing on that show was playing as loud as him because everybody said, you gotta, you gotta play exactly, um, like him as loud as him. And, um, so I would always come down after that show and like my hands would be in pain. It was, it was, it was really fun. And I had such a high, but like for me to play that loud for two and a half hours was, was hard. Um, so, you know, I, I, I went in, I transcribed his book. His book was pretty good. Um, and I, you know, I kind of asked some more questions like, do I have to play all this stuff like you, do you play this, you know, every night the same way? And he, you know, he, he was very, um, thorough in his explanations. Um, and yeah, so I, you know, I had, had the recording, had the charts. Um, I watched him many times. I think that's one thing that people do not do anymore because of conductor videos. Um, and, um, I don't know, also COVID now, but like, I probably went and sat, I want to say like seven or eight times in the pit with him. Cause I really wanted to kill it and I wanted it to be great. And I didn't want to get fired on the first one. And, um, you know, and, and luckily I did great. Um, I, I, I remember getting designated very, very quickly and just like, like feeling really good. Um, but also still just nervous every single time that I did it. I would say that's one thing that stuck with me is that even after subbing, however many shows that I did, I was still nervous. Um, the stomach pain and the stomach issues that I had, there's, there's a famous story about me at Greece that I don't know if your listeners want to know. Um, yes. Tell but, me, tell us, so, <laughs> did you throw up on the drums? No, we're okay. Um, <laughs> I was, I was just, I did. I think I, so I was very, uh, um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I had in my routine when I would sub, I would get a subway sandwich before every time I sub, um, ironic sub subway sandwich. And, <laughs> and I think, you know, I would always be nervous. Sometimes I, you know, pop a Pepto or whatever before a show. Um, this particular time I was not feeling 
really good. And at Greece, they were up on risers behind the stage. So you had to go up these two flights of stairs and you were like, you were not visible, but you were kind of visible during some parts. And, and I, man, I had to hit the, I had to hit the head in the middle of the show. So I, uh, I, I was kind of timing whether I, when I could do it. Um, and, uh, I think I, I found a good moment where I thought I might have a couple minutes. So I, I was like, excuse me, excuse me. I gotta go. I gotta go to the bathroom. I gotta go to the bathroom. And I ran and everybody's kind of laughing at me going, oh, what the fuck? Um, and, um, so I ran down to the bathroom and I was, you know, just doing my business. And, um, they had a, they had a, the speaker in the bathroom so you could hear what was happening on stage. And all of a sudden the song started Oh no! <laughs> and I was not back. And, um, so I said, Oh shit, I, I gotta get out of here. I gotta go back up. So I, I ran, I ran back up. I think I missed the verse of some song, but when I got back to my chair, I came in right in the chorus and I got a, a very, um, nice applause on the band wow. when I sat down and, uh, and rejoined the, the chorus of, you know, some song in Greece. That's crazy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people remember that, that I still am <laughs> friends with. So it worked out. Well, there, there is a story about <laughs> a colleague of mine who had a similar problem. You know, I've had that problem too, when you're on stage yeah. and you have to use the restroom and it's like excruciatingly painful yeah. and you can't leave. But when it's like intermission, you run to the restroom and you just, yeah. you know, relieve yourself. But yeah. there was a time where as one guitarist on a show that I was doing just said, you know, fuck it, man, I'm just going to go right here. <laughs> <laughs> he went to the bathroom on stage. No, <laughs> yes. and we've joked with him ever since, and we, you know, buy him depends and stuff like that. But oh, he, he said he felt the warm water running down his leg. I was like, oh man, man, <laughs> but I, I couldn't do that. No, <laughs> not me. Wow, yeah, but the the whole thing about subbing and being nervous, man. Yeah, every time I subbed in the past, it was nerve wracking. Which. Yeah. It's just part of the, uh, it, co- it comes with the territory subbing on a show, especially being a, a drummer. Yeah. It's a high pressure gig and high pressure. A lot of people are relying on you. Yep. So you sub for Clancy and yep. did you eventually move on to subbing at other shows? Yeah. Yeah. There was like kind of a, a period. I mean, yeah. So I, you know, I, I sub for Clancy. I did, I did well, but like, you know, there was all these guys who really didn't need anybody else when it came to other shows. You know, I thought, oh, hey, I'm designated at Greece. It's going to get me all these other subbing gigs. Um, and it wasn't until um, another recommendation from Jim Hirschman recommended me to, um, you know, w- w- probably one of my favorite drummers, Broadway drummers, dudes in general, um, who I've learned, you know, probably the, the most from, and that's Shannon Ford. Um, so I kind of became, um, you know, I subbed for him at this off-Broadway show called Everyday Rapture, um, which was really, really fun. And that's where I met Carmel Dean and um, also uh, George Farmer. And um, uh, who else was there? This is not 
a lot of, a lot of great people came in and out of that pit. It was a really fun show. Um, and, um, from there I started something on next to normal, which was uh, an incredible show and an incredible band. And that's where I met, um, the great uh, music director, Charlie Alterman. So yeah, through, through Clancy and through, um, Shannon Ford is like, is who, who I can attribute like subbing for. And then I know you want to know, know, know the other ones I did. Okay. Um, then, yeah, cause I basically did a, you know, a sub of a string of subbing and then got very lucky and stopped. Um, uh, let's see, I subbed for Howie joins great drummer and contractor at ghost. Um, another one of my favorite guys, um, and drummers who is not really in the business anymore is Trey files. Um, do you remember him? No. So, so, so Trey was the drummer for spring awakening. Oh, maybe that's where I, I'm thinking the guy from blink 182. Now that's, um, shit. I don't know. I, but yes, now Trey is, is, uh, is an incredible dude, incredible drummer. He, he, I think his first show is spring awakening. And then he did American idiot. And that's where I subbed for him. The green yes, day show. That's where I'm um, from. Okay. So yeah, American idiot was the third show I subbed on and quite possibly my favorite show I've ever done. Um, Travis Barker many, was, was blink one. Travis Barker. There you go. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. But, and then Trey cool is the drummer for green day. That's what I'm thinking of. Trey. Cool. Yeah. So Trey files. Wait, so Trey cool is the drummer for yeah. Green Green day Day and Trey files was the drummer on the American idiot. That's right. Did they ever meet? Do you know? They did many times, many times. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Actually Trey cool came to the show a lot. I was definitely there a few times when I played and that was pretty cool to meet him and, mm. and, you know, get his, uh, support. It was very cool. But yeah, that, that show, um, American idiot was probably in ways the hardest show I've ever done because it was, it was a hundred minutes of music that had to be memorized. No charts and you play exact same thing every single time. And so, um, and the whole show was clicked with lots of, you know, tempo changes and stuff. And, and I guess, you know, I'm, I'm a really good reader and kind of very, I can, you know, like it's definitely my strongest thing. Like you can put anything in front of me and I'll read it. And I've been doing it since I was a kid, you know, it's probably from piano playing and playing in tons of big bands, etc. But like, so to, to finally have to rely on, um, on, on memorizing something and learning it. There was no music also. So it was all listening. Yeah. So that was the other hard thing. <laughs> there were no, no charts, I, I, no charts. No, what really? No, no charts. Um, apparently there was, there was charts somewhere, but I, I you know, like it was going to take a while to find them and they weren't really accurate. So it was like, yeah. And so Trey basically made videos of him playing every single song in the show. So if you really couldn't hear something, you could check it out and see how he was playing or how he was sticking these, you know, crazy licks. Um, and, uh, yeah. So like, I've never practiced more for anything in my life than learning American idiot on Broadway. Wow. You know, there's, there is, uh, I shouldn't say two schools of, of, of performing, I guess, but there are people that like yourself, 
you put music in front of them and they're like, okay, I can read this down. Probably not, never, never make a mistake. Put music in front of me yeah. without me, you know, taking some time. I, I can get through it, but yeah. I, I need some time. But if you, you know, say, all right, play the entire Jackson's live record from 1981. I can play the, yeah. The, yeah. you know, right. I can do that. But, uh, Cause I can remember things. That's right. I just grew up listening to just probably like yourself. You probably yeah. grew up playing stuff too, but having right. that music in front of you, is uh, an added plus, you know, which is something I'm probably going to, I'm going to ask you now, do you have the music in front of you at your show right now? Do you read it or do you just has, have it there as a guide? If you like what you hear on the show, subscribe to the Broadway Drumming 101 newsletter at broadwaydrumming101.substack.com. That's Substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com. The Broadway Drumming 101 newsletter is your one-stop shop for everything you'll need to know about playing drums for Broadway musicals. When you subscribe to the newsletter, you'll learn about what it takes to be a successful pit musician with content delivered directly to your email inbox two to three times a week. For $5 a month or $50 a year, you'll have a backstage pass to the world of a Broadway drummer playing on a hit show. As a paying subscriber, you'll receive behind-the-scenes access to the life of a musician who makes a living on Broadway. You'll also be able to read every post, not just those occasional free ones. You'll get access to all newsletter issues in the archives and have an ability to participate in subscriber-only comments and events. If you become a founding member for a gift of only $75, you'll receive discounted private drum lessons and a 25% discount on future promotional products. If you'd like to make a direct contribution to the production of this show, you can reach us at Venmo at Clayton-Craddock, Cash App at Syncopated, that's C-I-N-C-O-P-A-T-E-D, or PayPal at Clayton Craddock. Any amount of support will be appreciated. Thank you for listening. So, great question. I have not used the music for Moulin Rouge since the second week of the first run of it. Um, so, and this is a very two two funny stories about uh, like reading music and memorizing music. Um, so yeah, Moulin Rouge, I've been doing it for so long that it feels very ingrained in my body. Um, you know, a lot of stuff was transcribed and put in the drum book and then a lot of stuff wasn't just because of time issues. And I realized that I could have a lot more fun um, playing without looking at music, right? So when we shut down and I was going to come back to doing something I hadn't done in a year and a half. I said, shit, I hope I remember this. I better look at the music. And so I get to the cast rehearsals. I'm looking at the music. It's all coming back to me. But there are like two or three spots in the show where I can't remember what the fuck I did. And so I had to go back to, you know, my recording and listen to what I did. And after checking those spots out, I said, okay, I can go back to no music which was very cool. It's, I mean, it's just, this shows you like what your brain is capable of even after a long period of time away of not even thinking or doing that thing. Right. Um, the other, the other, 
that was pretty cool to me. But the the predecessor and of the cool moment of this was after American Idiot had closed, the tour was going out, and my buddy Grant Braddock was doing it. He couldn't make a rehearsal, and you know, um, Tom Kit calls me up and says, "Can you you know can you do the rehearsal?" I said, "I haven't looked at this in you know six months. I have no idea if I can play it." And he was like, it doesn't matter, you know, just come in. We just need somebody there. So after six months of not listening, thinking, doing it all, I remembered by memory 95% of it. You play a lot of jazz. Yeah. Now you need to remember all that stuff. Do you have charts in front of you for your jazz gigs too? Um, yes. Cause usually when I'm playing jazz, I'm playing other people's music and I haven't internalized it. Like on the way I have a Broadway show playing it every single night, you know, okay. or whatever. And you know, the people's music is really difficult to odd time signatures, yada, yada, yada. People write crazy shit. So yeah, it's not, I read, I'm reading all the time pretty much. Yeah. Now we're going to get to your stuff later, but you know, no you created your stuff. Are you reading your own charts? Yes. Really? <laughs> um, on the big band, but not the quintet. Yeah. So, yeah. So if you, we can, I'll, I'll explain it later. Okay. Well, 2010. Yes. Green Day, American Idiot, Broadway, subbing. Uh, Did you eventually get your own show shortly after that? Um, So I, you know, I continued to sub for maybe three more years. Um, I did a couple more shows for Shannon. I did a couple shows for, Trey, a show for Howie. Um, maybe that's it. It's hard to remember. Um, and then came my call of my first show, which was Pippin, the revival of Pippin. And that was 2013. That was um, your first show? Wow. I didn't that know was that. my first show. Yep. Wow. So that was, yeah, that was, I think we started at the very beginning of 2013 with cast rehearsals. Um, and, you know, I got that show because um, Charlie Alterman was the music director. Um, you know, I had done a bunch of shows with him. We had always gotten along really well. He liked my playing. Um, and, uh, and, and then also my good buddy, Sonny Palladino, was on that show. And I know that he, um, you know, fought for me. I think that, you know, the contractor had got his guys he wanted to get. And luckily there was enough people who wanted me in the room and and that's that's how it started you did the uh cast recording for that tell me how you yes. approached the cast recording you know as your first cast recordings are different than a lot of things that we do as far as you know regular pop recordings or jazz recordings yeah it's very intense uh tell me about your experience recording that show it was pretty intense um that show was uh not clicked no click on that show it was kind of a tempos were a bit moving a lot of stuff pushed and pulled you know there's some definitely some groove tunes in that show but you know it's kind of depended on how uh, music director and the cast were feeling where it was going and that was kind of the approach to the cast recording and that didn't fly so immediately um we instituted clicks for the album, which is something, you know, we hadn't done at all, but luckily the band was, you know, a really, really great band, incredible band. Some of my favorite people were in that band. Um, 
So I remember that starting off very, very stressful um, for some people. And, um, and, and luckily, uh, we all worked together to get it to a, uh, a, a doable place and everyone played great. And, uh, the finished product is pretty amazing. I really liked that album. Um, but that was, uh, that was an exceptionally stressful process. Yes. For that that reason. (laughs) Did that lead you to your next one? You do the color purple after that? No, after that, I did. Um, uh, it should have been you. Hmm. That flew flew right past you, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, that was a, it. Was a it was a cute, uh, funny show, kind of like a mm, play with music a little bit. Not really, I guess it's a musical. Um, some good songs in it. Uh, great cast. Very short lived. Um, uh, basically, after Pippin closed. Um, the contractor moved half of the people to one show and then half the people to, it should have been you, which is very cool. Mm. Um, so, you know, I was, I was with my, my good buddy, um, Steve Milhouse on bass at, it should have been you and, um, who, you know, played bass on Pippin and, um, Rick, no, who else was there? Rick Heckman, free player. And then everybody else kind of went to that show something rotten. So mm. both of them start started right after Pippin, yeah, and they were contracted by John Miller, yeah. What was the show about? I didn't even really. It was about uh, <laughs> know much about it. It was it was um, about Jesus. Let's see if I can remember. No, it was about a wedding, and I guess I think this shows you how much I remember it. I think <laughs> um, uh, there was war sisters and one of them was gay and she came out gay and the kind of other one was you know uh plumper and didn't have um wasn't as you know beautiful but she was like gets her due in the end and they get married she gets married i'm pretty sure Um, i hope i remember (laughs) did you ever see the show i did not i did not see that one do you um, have do you have monitors in the pits that you play in to actually see the the show? Yeah, most all of them I have. Not that one, because um, most most of the I mean that was a different one. That was more traditional Broadway. Like I guess I've done a lot of. Uh, well, that's not true. I guess I've done a few different, uh, you know, Broadway runs, but usually rock rock ones or uh, pop pop shows. I guess you know. Um, yeah. Going back to Pippin, did you go back to the original cast recording to listen to what the original drummer played? And did you try to emulate yeah. that? No. Yeah. Yes and no. I mean, they, when they call, when, when I got the call to do it, they said it's going to be new orchestrations and a new modern vibe. So that was, that was cool, but I had no idea what the music was like. So yeah, I listened to the cast recording and I was like, wow, these are, these are killing tunes. Um, there was some, you know, cause like, you know, I, I, I didn't grow up listening to musical theater, but I did play, play the shows at my high school, which was, you know, they were always very, very, very good. But outside of like those, you know, six shows that I did in high school, um, I never knew anything else. I really couldn't tell you a difference between, you know, Family Opera or Chicago or whatever. So, yeah, I didn't know any of these shows when, when I would get called to do them or whatever. But I definitely always would. I love to check out the originals. 
um, whether that's, you know, Pippin or color purple, um, there's, there's definitely a lot to learn from that. And, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty awesome. That Pippin is a great cast recording, but it's so loose. And if you listen to any, you know, old school cast recordings, they're just, the time is so loose on them. Um, it's just a funny thing to listen to and to be like, wow, you guys got, got away with this. Nobody cared, <laughs> but I guess fine. Well, speaking of revivals, did you event that was the color purple? The next thing that you did? Yes. Yes. Now it was. that's where I met you. Cause yes. I called and you know, the thing about trying to network with people and, uh, trying to get a gig. Some people get it through a recommendation. Some people, uh, you know, call or email or text or direct message. I just reached out to you and thankfully you had uh, a slot open and yeah, where I met you and I sub for you. And it was such a great book. And let me tell you something, anyone listening here, Jared has one of the best snare drums <laughs> on the planet earth oh, thanks. man i love that snare drum i was like i hit it i was like oh my god this sounds so good now oh, tell me thanks. tell me what snare was that is against a pearl it's a pearl kapoor which is like mahogany and um they don't make it anymore and fun fact i've used it on every single broadway show i've done really yes i have <laughs> wow it's such a nice snare drum thank you but i i was very happy to be able to try to emulate your sound and try to sound yeah, like thanks. you, which is very difficult to do, but I think yeah, I did all did, right. You did great. <laughs> but the band all, that all I was playing with uh, was great there. And, yeah, you know, the thing about that show, you're, you're doing a revival, but it's it was different because you had some different songs in there, right? I think. I'm not sure if we had different songs, but but the arrangements were so different and the band was so stripped down. Yes. You know, it went true. from like 25 piece orchestra to eight people. Yes. Um, yeah. So that was, I think the biggest difference from the original. Yeah. Maybe the different song or two. That's, that seems right. Yeah. You would know better than me, but yeah. Um, yeah. It was, it was cool. Um, again, did you listen to the original cast yeah. recording? Yeah. Again, I just wanted to know what I was uh, getting into and it was great. I actually think the first thing I saw though, that piqued my interest was a really early promo video with Cynthia Revo and Jennifer uh, Hudson singing one of the tunes. And this was like way early, like maybe before it was contracted and this, you know, maybe it was like six months out. And I, and I actually, I mean, to be quite honest, I saw that video and I was like, man, I should play the show. Like I really wanted to play the show. Um, and I've never really thought that or seen a show and been like, man, I want to do this. Um, and yeah, the way, I mean, the way it came about is pretty, pretty cool. If you yeah, want to know that story. Yeah. Tell me how'd, yeah. you, how'd you get that gig? Um, so I had worked with, uh, um, Jason Michael Webb, who is, who, you know, very well. Um, you know, he's, He's definitely one of my favorite dudes, one of my favorite music directors, one of my favorite pianists, one of my favorite people around. Um, and oddly enough, we had met um, in 2000, I don't know, 11 or something when, when, when both of us were relative, you know, 
nobodies and we were extras in an episode of smash yeah i did that too that's so you funny too i remember i remember yours yeah yeah that's right see, we have you might have been in one with with george too right were no you in an episode with george okay i forgot who was on that one but yeah okay. a lot of people were working on that show during that time exactly exactly um anyway so fast forward many years and i did a workshop with jason for a show called witness uganda um which is a great great show and a great uh score great dudes everything about it i love um and jason and i were both contracted and going to do the off-broadway run at second stage um and jason was offered color purple i think because joseph jubert was orchestrating it and you know didn't have the bandwidth or didn't want to conduct music direct so you know jason is one of um of joseph's proteges and uh and J and jason said you know i want i want to get jared and and um that's then and so basically i had to bail on the same show as jason um you know and that was a, I, I hate bailing on things to do something else um and it was a very tough decision because i didn't you know your you know word word means a lot your word means a lot and and your bond means a lot so one of the i guess one of the also the kind of regrets in my life is early on i i used to bail on a lot of stuff you know to do something else that i want to do whether it's for more money or or whatever but you know you don't when you're younger you don't realize what kind of bridges you may be burning um that's my advice for for people in general but yeah um, now I, I try to never do that, even if I'm going to lose money or whatever. It's just like if you say yes to something, try your hardest to do it because you said yes and people are counting on you. Um, but anyway, I, I, I do think that in the end, I made a, a, a very good decision because that was probably, you know, my favorite show that I've ever done um, for a lot of reasons. You know, you were there. So. <laughs> well, I just remember being in the pit and before every show uh daniel brooks would come yeah. in and would just lighten up the mood by saying something hilarious and just crack everybody up yeah and it would just make it so much fun yeah but then i'd have to i'm, I'm getting street. goosebumps right now man <laughs> serious thinking about it and then you know when cynthia arrivo would sing her song at the oh yeah. my god i was like yeah. oh my you know sometimes i'd like almost lose track because I'd be listening to how yeah. great she was. Yeah. There was yeah. one time though, when Jennifer Hudson uh, was in it and I was backstage and, you know, this little area where we hang, you know, we hang out yeah. back there and she was just sitting in the chair and I walked by and I think I introduced myself and she's like, hi, uh, my name is Jennifer. It's like, I know who the hell you are. <laughs> I should have been like Jennifer. Who? What are you? What, what, who? what are you doing here? <laughs> no, no, you know, he's no joke, too, man. No, she was amazing. But everybody was very, very cool. Was laid back, except for you know. I'm going to tell a little story here. Yeah, I am not a percussionist. When I was in in high school, I was in the concert band, and I just remember being in the back. And you know, there's drummers and people, somebody who played percussion. But we would act up in the back, and the band director was like, could you drummers please quiet down? 
Yeah. Always. And a friend of mine was like, oh, excuse me, we're not drummers, we're percussionists. <laughs> like, what? Anyway, <laughs> I'm not a percussionist, but there was a uh, a mallet part in your in your show, and I was freaking oh, yeah. out. That was hard, right? Only five notes, right? Notes, yeah, yeah. Five notes, and I had to play it and put down a stick and then pick the thing up. <laughs> And I was like, oh, oh fuck, how am I gonna do this? So I just had to memorize it. Because yeah. you know, again, I'm not a percussionist, but I, I can I admit that there were times where I'd hit one wrong. Of note. course. <laughs> of course. Hey, I did it too. But you know, it made us it made us that extra percent every show. So <laughs> Exactly, I know. Well, yeah, for people that don't know also, when you're little tip, if you have a show, which I tried to do at Ain't Too Proud. Yeah. You have a show and you want to make some extra money. You try to uh, add instruments to your setup that will get you doubles, so that you can make extra money. If you have a, a, a an instrument that is not part of a typical drum set, with it, which is the drums, cymbals, probably I think triangle might be a part of it, yeah. and maybe tambourine. Yeah. But if you have a mallet. Uh, instrument that you have to play that's an extra I think 12.5% and if you have electronics that's an extra 25% so I had right. this part when we were doing the run in uh, in Berkeley where there was there was two gavels in the show and people were like you know maybe somebody can during the rehearsals the director said can we get a gavel here I was like you know I can do it I can do it yeah. all we need is a, a rolling pad yeah exactly <laughs> They're like, okay, go ahead and get it. You know, $700 later, the next day, there's a pad there, and it, the thing is there. I'm like, yeah, man, crack. I do it twice. I'm like, that's 25%. I can't wait to get to Broadway. I'm, I'm going to be rich. So when we got to the point where we're going to go to Broadway, we got to Broadway, and the uh, company manager, you know, saw the, the pad there, and he was, like, looking at it like this. He's like, Clayton, uh, sorry, but we're going to have to take this away and put this on key three. I was like, oh man. <laughs> oh you're, man. You're taking away my kids' future right here. I know. <laughs> I can't afford their college now. But yeah, there are things that you can do to 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 make yourself a little bit more uh, valuable. But I lived and yeah. In any event. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good that is a good start. Uh Color Purple. You went to another show after that, War Paint. More paint, correct. So there was, you know, I didn't see that. I've, I've heard that there were big, gigantic horses, and I, I, I didn't know. I don't no, know. No, that's a different story. one. That's war, that? horse. that's war Horse. That's War Horse. Wait, so wait a minute. What's War Paint? It's about makeup. Oh, damn. <laughs> I'm all wrong. So is there a show called War Horse? Yeah. What? Did you do yeah, both war. of those? No, no, no. War Horse was, um, it was a play at Lincoln Center. With, with like, um, I guess, uh, you know, animatronic, uh, like horse. Yeah, horses were in it. Apparently it was very good. I never saw it. I would have liked it. Uh, it was really good, though. All right. Well, I'm, I'm wrong. People, so but you're not the first to, um, to confuse, confuse those. paint as war horse. Yeah. Were they running at the same time? I think so. Maybe. Damn. I don't know. <laughs> like, this isn't what we signed up for. I know. So war paint. Tell me about that. Um, Patty LuPone. Patty LuPone, Christine Abersall, two fantastic actresses who played like the titans of the of the makeup industry in the in the early 1900s and kind of their the trajectory of their lives. See, I remember this one really well. Um, 
And, uh, you know, actually there was a lot of wonderful, wonderful stuff about this one. I, I really enjoyed playing. It was super hard. Um, it was one of those like real combined drum set percussion books with like, you know, real timpani. And, um, uh, I had two, like I had two timp on that show and I had a electron an electronic mallet cat. Wow. So there you so go. See, I made some money. You got paid. Um, but but I, I was in the pit and I had very minimal space. So like I had to have my buddy come in and like like say, hey man, how would this how could I get this mallet cat in here? And basically we we mounted it against the pit and it was like, you know, like I was playing like this and then the mallet cat was up here. So I had to kind of get out of my chair every time. I had bad back pain from the show, actually. Um, I had to get out of my chair uh to play it a lot, and then the you know, the foot pedals were in my like left foot. It was, it was difficult. It was a hard one. I had a really hard time getting subs on that one. Um, because it was like a lot of very swinging big band drumming and then like very classical percussionist stuff. Um, but yeah, that was also a really, really great band. Uh, some of my favorite musicians were in that band. Um, big band, great conductor. Um, one of my favorite, favorite dudes, Larry Yerman. Um, and uh yeah the, i mean the music is beautiful amazing writer scott frankel who wrote uh great gardens um and uh yeah it was and great director michael greif um it was cool it was fun yeah I, I, yeah there was a lot of cool stuff about that didn't he do rent yeah michael greif uh, directed rent and directed um dear evan hansen oh wow big dog yeah did that run its course and that's how you got the prom or did you leave to do? That? Um, no, I've only ever left one show to do another. And that was prom to do Moulin Rouge, but, um, more pain closed. And I already had prom lined up, which was cool. Um, so, and I was also doing Moulin Rouge workshops during war paint. Um, so like, yeah, I kind of had a nice period of time where I had like five years of my, of my Broadway life booked in a weird way you know maybe not five but but three or four you know like i did yeah after war paint closed i did maybe a workshop of prom and then i did uh then i did the out of town of moulin rouge in boston um which is the first time i've ever gone out of town to do an, uh, a run um and I think when that ended, I came back and did the prom, um, which was a great, great show. Um, very, very special people. Um, small band, but really, really fun, unorthodox setup. Um, I was in a booth by myself in the basement next to the bass player and the guitar player. The keyboard player was in an office. And then four people were in the pit with a music director. So many remote locations um, that somehow came together and sounded really good. And um, yeah, I mean, that was a really fun show to play and I loved it. Great, great music. Um, but, you know, I had already, so I left that one with probably a few months left in its run to do Moulin Rouge, um, which, you know, was waiting for a specific theater to open at. And when, um, Kinky Boots finally announced its closing at the Hirschfeld. Then the prompt, uh, then Moulin Rouge um, announced it would be going in there in, in the summer of 
2019. For people that don't know about uh, where drummers are gen- generally situated in theater nowadays, musicians used to be in a pit, but now they can be pretty much anywhere. Now, you were talking about your situation at the prom where people were in different places. When I went to go see Sammy Marandino play Kinky Boots, and he was right. in a completely different room. Now, at Moulin Rouge, are you in a very similar situation? You're like in a whole other floor? No. Um, they changed it up for Moulin Rouge when we got there. They basically uh, they built us a, kind of a world-class recording studio in the basement. And so there's two remote there's two locations, well, three, if you include the conductor, but there's one giant, um, not giant, one medium sized room that, that houses, um, key to both guitars, um, and bass on one side. So it houses rhythm section on the one side and then the strings on another side, um, with string quartet. And then I'm kind of in the middle in my own ISO booth. Uh, which is really cool. So I can see the keyboard player, I can see the bass player, and I can see the guitar player. And if I lean my head, I can see the other guitar player. Um, And then the way the show started off, they had the horn players, um, which are trumpet, French horn, trombone, and reeds on the fourth floor by themselves. Um, Very far away, a long walk up the stairs. And when we came back, due to um, space issues for new cast members, they moved them downstairs into another room, which used to be someone's office. So now they're close to us, but still not in the same room. You mentioned something, you know, about another show that you were on. Uh, You had to stand up and play the mallet cat. Yeah, war paint. And it led to some issues with your, uh, your body. What are, what are some, you know, it's, I think about it because my right arm is starting to hurt. And if, uh, if I had more time, which I, I, well, I'm going to have to dedicate to doing it because I don't want to have long-term consequences to it, but my right, right arm is starting to hurt, you know, in my forearm because of something I'm doing wrong in the pit. Yeah. How do you avoid injuries doing Broadway shows, playing the same thing the same way, or, you know, you, you tried not to play as hard as John Clancy at his, right. at, at your first show, because you didn't want to hurt yourself. What do you do to avoid injuries? I, I mean, I, I, I take care of my body um, pretty darn well. You know, I'm an avid exerciser and, um, but also being a diabetic brings on uh, a bunch of other problems. And throughout my career, I was virtually injury free until actually color purple when I had really bad carpal tunnel in my left um, hand and wrist, um, coupled with some neuropathy in my fingers. And it was basically due to poor blood sugar management. So I'm like, I'm dealing with the repetitive injury thing, you know, that we are all dealing with. And then another subset of problems from being diabetic, um, you know, and I kind of changed my, my eating habits and my life around a lot during that show. And virtually those, those specific problems um, went away. You know, I, 
I got to a point in my life where I realized I needed to have a dedicated warm-up time. Um, you know, I had always been pretty nonchalant about warming up before playing. And I think maybe when I was turned 30 or something, I was like, this ain't flying anymore, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I, I think that obviously warming up and spending um, a good deal of time, whether it's, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes warming up the hands and the arms and the wrists um, is very helpful to stay injury free. I think that it's hard to, figure out sometimes like the problems of our setups until we've done it for a while. Um, like your problem or my problem at war paint, you know, like I thought I would be cool. And then I realized Man, I shouldn't have set it up like this, but I had no other choice. Um, you know, and like you, you know, I'm, have you figured out what you're doing wrong? No, I haven't. Yeah. So like, like that's the thing. It's like, how, how do we, figure that out because I mean, there are professionals who will be able to tell us that, but yeah, I, I couldn't tell you. And I couldn't, I couldn't at the time realize that just standing up a tiny bit, you know, to, to play this Malakat was going to like give me issues. So I think we, we just kind of need to um, stick to our, our, our most comfortable, like, yeah, I just maybe, a good answer would be to just we know our, our footprint of the way our drums because i'm thinking like maybe your drums are tighter than you usually are or like you're 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 not getting your rotation or something you know like that's just what comes to my mind like it's probably something with your setup because if you've never had these issues before it's probably just the way the drums are set up or the way the space they stuck you in i think that maybe sticking up for our our space um and what we need to be comfortable is really important um, so that these kind of issues don't creep up on us. Um, like I, I mean, a good point is like when I first set up my drums for Moulin Rouge, I had them, um, angled way different cause I wanted to look right at the bass player, um, and like, you know, be able to vibe with him and something about like the way the stool was laying on the ground was so uncomfortable. So after doing, you know, eight, 10 days of rehearsal, I, I said, I need to, I need to switch it completely. And, you know, I spent, I, you know, the sound people were very cool about it. And I just had to spend, you know, a good couple hours reorienting myself. And uh, I'm not sure if that's a word, but, you know, just, just moving myself over. And, and cause I could, I, I could foresee having lots of issues had I would have kept it that way. I know it was uncomfortable the very first time I sat down and played the drums. And I said, this can't be right, but, but I want it faced this way. And, so yeah, now my back is flat against the wall, you know, which was, it wasn't before it was kind of at an angle. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, I think trusting, trusting your setup and knowing what kind of space you need is important. Since you've been doing so many different shows over the years and you could talk to someone who's never done this before, what are things that a drummer should never do in a Broadway pit? It's a very interesting question because I can think of a lot of things I would tell not things people not to do that I do. <laughs> um, um, well, don't here. Here's a here's a very simple, uh, simple one. Um, when you're playing drums in a Broadway pit, don't play what you feel. Play what's appropriate, um, which can you know, which can mean a lot of things uh 
but you're not, you know, I mean, someone might not understand how specific the same stuff we play is um, on a night to night basis, you know? And I think until you've, you've seen someone play the same thing twice, you'll never really know because you're, if you're in the audience um, seeing a show, you might think, Oh, that drummer's making up everything he's playing, you know, you know, um, but as subs, as you and I have gone through, um, we've really learned the, um, the kind of, I wouldn't say robotic, but you know, the, the essence of playing the same thing eight times a week and the things you can do slightly different if allowed by your music director, or if not allowed by your music director, I think every show is a little bit different. Um, you know, there are spots in my current show where I play a different fill every night, but 95% of the show is the same thing every night. Um, but you know, I have, have a few spots where I'm able to, to play, uh, to play something a little bit different. Um, and I think that, you know, coming from a jazz background, um, the idea of uh, spontaneous um, interplay and uh, connectivity and improvisation, it, that's a, it's a different world. It's, it's not Broadway. Um, so those, those are two sides of, of my brain that have to be separate. You know, um, sometimes they can overlap a tiny bit, but for the most part, they are very separate. What advice would you give to someone who's interested in playing drums for a Broadway show? Doing what we do uh, for a living. Yeah. I mean, my advice would be to get out into the world, play lots of lots of music, learn lots and lots of recordings, go see lots and lots of music, um, nothing to do with Broadway. Um, go listen to... Now, now, why is that? Why do you say that? Um, I say that because... 99% of the time, whatever you hear in Broadway music came from something else. And I think the, the big problem with a lot of today's youth is they want to skip their musical education and go right to playing for Broadway shows. And I've been, I've talked to a number of people who have referenced grooves um, saying, oh, that's from that show. And I said, no, that's from Sly and the Family Stone. And they go, what? What's that? <laughs> this is a real thing. I mean, it's, it sounds, sounds silly and it sounds, but like, I think a lot of kids, you know, young adults coming out of high school, college, want to go right to the top and have, and, and you know, this is, I'm not the only one who thinks this, and, I'm, and this is not an original thought whatsoever. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've heard this from a lot of my Broadway drumming heroes who, you know, have played tons of music in their life and didn't, didn't start on Broadway. You know, there's, there's so many funny things that um, the older generation has to say about Broadway. Um, you know, uh, it used to be the last thing people wanted to do in town and, you know, it's the last stop on your, on your train and the, you know, why start at the end? So, you know, but, but uh, when I, you know, now that I'm older and, you know, experienced and done a lot of stuff in my life, different areas of music and Broadway, like I can see this generation really wanting to just bypass all their musical uh, education 
and go and go right to this. So, you know, and then somebody might respond with, well, I need to make a living. And I'll say, well, you can get go a get job a, at the Apple store. Get a job. Exactly. <laughs> get a job. Because because if you don't know, you know, you need to know where stuff comes from. You know, um, you can't you can't do calculus without knowing base, basic arithmetic. It's like everybody's got to know the history. I mean, you don't have to deeply know the history of every single aspect of music, but you should you should know where stuff comes from when you hear like a groove in rent or, you know, um, you know, just like or like someone's idea of jazz shouldn't be a Broadway show. It should be <laughs> it should be at least Miles Davis. And if not that, then go back to, to early jazz, you know, and, and tell me some early jazz drummers instead of saying oh yeah i heard that groove and uh, yada 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 you know so that's that's my uh perhaps slightly salty opinion but <laughs> no you're not the only one if, yeah if you, a lot of the people on this podcast said the same exact thing yeah well good i'm glad if enough people say it, then maybe some people will listen to it yeah even going back to where you started greece if you don't know where that kind of music came from you won't yeah. sound authentic when right. you're playing it you are promoting your new album. It is called Two Takes. It's volume one and two, correct? Correct. And tell me more about your, you've done so many recordings. I was just looking at uh, a, a, on your website, you have like a, every, I guess not every yeah. Thing that you've done but there's so many recordings Pretty that you've close. done Thanks. you've uh done this latest one and was this the one that you were nominated for a grammy for or is this uh yeah no i was in uh yeah in consideration for for a grammy award for these i didn't i didn't end up getting one um long story um and i'm not salty it's fine but uh <laughs> these um but you yeah, won a, a grammy bit. before though right yeah for the color purple cast recording. okay yeah wow yeah yeah and then, you know, I've been on, I think, three other Grammy-nominated recordings. So, so tell me more about yeah. this, uh, this, this project that you're working on. Yeah, this, so I, for my creative, you know, jazz out, you know, output life, I was, I had a co-led trio called the Wii Trio with a vibes player and a bass player that had a long, fruitful musical life. Eventually, it came to an end. Um, a number of people were like, you should do your own recording. You should make some music of your own. You have great tunes, you know, do it up. So I said, okay, let's do it. And in the process, um, I came up with this crazy idea to take these eight original compositions of mine and um, commission eight different uh, big band composers to do arrangements on them. So my project Two Takes Volume 1 is the quintet recording of my music, which is, you know, my arrangements for a small group, piano, bass, drums, trumpet, and alto. And then the Volume 2 is a big band recording of the same eight tunes, um, each completely reimagined by a different um, composer-arranger. And uh, they they fulfilled my wildest dreams. Um, I'm, I couldn't be more proud of, I don't know, any musical thing I've done in my life. I'm, I'm very, uh, it was a very uh, uh, 
kind of a, just a, a crazy idea, very, very uh, nuts. And I somehow pulled it off um, be right before the pandemic, most of it, and then finished the rest during the pandemic. Um, and then they came out in September of this last year and um, they've gotten, yeah, incredible press. Um, I was able to do some traveling early on and, and play this music with um, a few different college bands and I'm going out um, at the end of this month to do it again at a big jazz festival in Florida, play my music with the uh, Jacksonville university in North Florida. Um, but yeah, they're, uh, you know, I had a, I don't know, there's like 50 people involved on in these two records. It's nuts. Wow. I had two, I had two big bands play basically. I just wanted to get a whole bunch of different people involved. And, um, you know, I've been, I've been in a lot of people's big bands and I want to, you know, pay it back and, and, and reciprocate that. So, well, yeah. did you, uh, employ Michael Davis? Of course I did. <laughs> so of course, man, I met him. He was in the band of, uh, Memphis and yep. that's a funny dude, man. A great, great trombonist, great educator. Yes. He's got so much going on and yes, hey, you played on his record too, right? I did. I did. He is, he is one of my true favorites in life in both music and man. Yeah. So. <laughs> and he's in Moulin Rouge too. He is. He is. Yeah. It's the third show we've done together. I met him during, during Pippin. Um, mm. And we, you know, and we immediately became really, really good buddies um, because we both went to Eastman and our birthdays are a day apart. And um, I used to listen to his record with my trombone playing roommate at Eastman. The 8-Bit Big Band is going to be at Sony Hall on March 20th. Yes. And at the Howard Theater in Washington, D.C. on March 25th. Yes. What kind of gear do you use and why? I use, um, I guess, my, my endorse. I'm endorsed with, uh, with Peisty Symbols, which I love and have been with since 2012. Um, so almost 10 years. Um, I, they treat me really well. I think they make great stuff for both jazz and, you know, pop theater. And that's kind of what I was looking for early on. Um, and, and one of the other big things is, uh, consistency in product with them. Like you can get the same symbol and it'll sound the exact same. So if you break a symbol and you need the exact same sound, it's great. Not everybody's looking for that. Um, but I am actually, which is cool. Um, I use big first sticks. I've been using them my whole entire life Been an endorser since mid two thousands. Um, favorite sticks grew up playing them. What else is to say? Um, I, the cases I endorse are protection racket. Um, really good company out of England. Great, great cases. Love them. Um, what else I play? Um, I, I play Gretsch drums. I kind of, and I'm and an unofficial endorser with Gretsch drums. Um, but at my show, I play Pearl drums. Um, so, and both are great for a number of reasons. Um, I kind of, I kind of, I've yet to find the perfect drum company that I can get everything I need, um, which is, you know, a great sounding jazz kit and a great sounding pop big kit. Um, either one of those would, would do the trick. I think, um, would also play Remo heads for sure. 
Um, and what else do I like? Um, that's about it. Where can people find you on social media? Um, I have a website, jaredshonig.com. I am on the Instagram. Um, I believe I'm at jshonig. Um, I stay up to date on that. Uh, I have a Facebook page, an artist page on there. Um, I don't really do the Twitter, although I'd like to, I guess. Um, no, no. it's a uh, cesspool out there, man. Oh, no. <laughs> and then I have a YouTube page, too, with a lot of good videos on it. Is that from uh, just examples of things that you, is it your yeah. uh, like your recordings or your drumming? Yeah, or, or both? yeah, both both recordings, drumming, um, you know, live videos from over the years, and a bunch of videos from the two new records that I just did. Um, some Moulin Rouge stuff. There's a there's a cool side by side cam I did of me playing the Good Morning America uh, Moulin Rouge medley. Um, kind of the drum cam of that and side by side with the, the footage on TV is cool. If you're in any of the areas that he's going to be performing, definitely check him out live in Florida on January 31st, March 20th at Sony Hall, March 25th at the Howard Theater, and July 1st at Madison Square Garden. I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> Sold out. <laughs> Oh. Uh, I'm just kidding. I mean, hey, one day, man. One day. Be the I'll cross best, it off. Best thing, man. You'd like the Jared Shonick Big Band sold I'm out. Mad, mad <laughs> All right, you hear, heard it here first. Thank you for being a part of this. Nice talking to Thank you. Thank you. Great and, talking uh, to you. I appreciate it. And good luck with everything in the future. And we will talk soon. Awesome. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast. Head over to the Broadway Drumming 101 YouTube page where you'll find unedited conversations that I've had with some of your favorite musicians. On the YouTube page, you're going to find bonus content that I don't feature on my Instagram page or here on the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and click on that little bell at the top so that you'll be notified when a new video is uploaded. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more. 